So this is a book which was spoken 5,000 years ago by Krishna and to his friend Arjuna. And it's a book about questions and answers. Now the questions are actually questions that we could have asked if we were 5,000 years ago with Krishna. And because Krishna is not an ordinary personality, he knows everything. So, if actually Krishna knows everything, and you ask him questions, then he should always give the right answer. Isn't that right? If you know everything, and you try to give the right answer, you should be able to get the right answer, because if you know everything past, present, future, then you should be able to give the right answer. Just like if I asked you what day is tomorrow, you might have to think about it, but you'd probably give the right answer. So Arjuna is asking Krishna questions because there is a battle about to take place and Arjuna is a little worried, so he's asking questions so that he's not so worried during the battle. And Krishna is giving him the answers. Now we're claiming that Krishna is God. You don't have to accept that. When we say Krishna is God, we're referring to the same person as Yahweh, Adonai, or God, or whoever, Allah, whoever you want to call God. God's the same person. They can't be two gods. Otherwise, they'd have to fight it out to figure out who actually is the God. But we understand that there is one God, and he has many names. We call him Krishna, because Krishna means all-attractive. If someone is actually God, they must have some quality. Otherwise, how can it be God? We can't say the, that God has no qualities. If God has no qualities, it doesn't make him a very good God. If you claim that someone was the, the President of the United States, but he had no form, he had nothing. He had no ears or eyes or no form. He didn't know, he couldn't really talk to him. He wouldn't make a very good present. Maybe some people would think that he was better than the present one. <laughs> In any case, but he probably wouldn't be a better president. He wouldn't make a very good president. So similarly, if we have a God, God must have certain qualities. And six of the qualities are the same qualities that we have but to a very limited amount. For instance, God was, if God is the source of everything, which is one of the definitions of God, then he must have all beauty, because we have a little bit of beauty. So God must have a little bit more than we do, or a lot more. So we say he has all beauty, simply strength. I can lift up this book. I'm sure God must be able to do it too. If I could lift the book and God couldn't, well, I think we should choose another God. So God must have all strength and all knowledge, as I said. So beauty, strength, knowledge. And also, he must have all fame. If no one knows him, he won't be doing very well. Some people believe in him, some people don't believe in him, etc. And God must have all wealth. If God is a poor person begging on the street, then I guess we should probably choose another God. 
because he wouldn't be able to help us very much because we'd have to spend all the money trying to help him. So beauty, strength, fame, knowledge, and then also renunciation. If God was attached to everything, he wouldn't give us anything, we'd be really in trouble. If God decided one day, I need my son back, <laughs> and the next day we, we, we wait for the sun to come up and it never does because God took it back then we'd be in trouble <laughs> so Krishna owns everything but still he's generous and he gives us things that are necessary now of course nowadays people say that we came from the apes you've heard that before do you believe you came from an ape you don't know what do you think? Um, Neanderthal man, or? I haven't really thought about it. I mean, I've been busy with school. <laughs> they, don't, they don't help you think about these things. So, well, just think about it. Everyone here has a father and mother, right? You all have fathers and mothers? Mm -hmm. You believe that? Mm -hmm. Okay. And your fathers and mothers had a father and mother? And they had a father and mother? So, is there any one in your ancestry you know that was an ape? <laughs> Do you think someone was in, on your family tree who was swinging from it? <laughs> so, if your father and mother were a person and, and they had a father and mother as a person, so where in our family tree is someone swinging? And if it's not true, well, even we say that somewhere or another, my great-great-great-great-grandfather was an ape. And my grandmother was an ape, too. They called her Lucy. And they called him Harry. And then, then we'd have to trace his ancestry back. We'd find out that there had to be some sheep, namely a black sheep, because everyone talks about the black sheep in our family. So there must be a, a black sheep in the family too. And he must have came, his, his ancestry must have come from a, a, a mouse, Grandfather Squeaky. <laughs> <laughs> and the ultimately you have to go all, trace it all about, and you come back to nothing, from which everything is supposed to come, right? So in the beginning there was nothing, and nothing mother nothing, was speaking to son nothing, and telling son nothing, why don't you make something out of yourself? It's embarrassing. All my, na na my neighbors think you're nothing. <laughs> Become, make something out of yourself. You go to school, make something out of yourself. So after so long, hearing the complaints about from mother nothing, he decided to make something out of himself. He tried real hard. It's hard when you, when you have nothing to work with, to make something out of yourself. So, but he tried real hard for a long time, and he became some gas, according to the scientists. And <coughs> Mother Nothing said, is that all you can become is a bit of gas? It's not very, com it's not very pleasant to be around you. <laughs> 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 Why don't you try to do something more than just become a bit of gas? So, Son Nothing, who tried so hard for so long to become some gas, he exploded. Maybe someone lit a match or something, and he exploded. 
and somehow or another, he flew everywhere, and his mother said, well, why don't you just settle down? So he settled down and became a rock, and the rest is history. We call it history. We, we in the Hare Krishna movement, we call it science fiction. Because that has no basis of reality or experience. You have no experience. From nothing, everything is coming. Have you noticed one day you were sitting there and you suddenly a whole universe just popped out of nothing? Has that happened to anyone around here lately? What do you get out of nothing? <laughs> you get nothing. <laughs> if the scientists actually believed that everything came out of nothing, then why do they bother going to school to get their PhD degree? Why don't they just sit at home and out of nothing, the PhD degree will come? That the whole universe came out of nothing, why couldn't a little PhD degree come out of nothing? Why don't they sit at home and they'll become rich? Because out of nothing all the money will come. But nothing comes out of nothing. So the fact is that if we trace back our ancestry, we'll find that everyone was a person. Just like if you go to the zoo and you look at the children there for the monkeys, you don't find people. <laughs> well, look at that little chimp. <laughs> he looks like my brother. <laughs> So this is all science fiction. They take a bone this big and they make a dinosaur the size of this room. And then they, according to whatever they dream that night, they, they describe the dinosaur. Something they describe them as meat eaters, Tyrannosaurus rex, eating all the other. And then sometimes they say, oh, they're all vegetarians. Sometimes they say they were vegans, depending upon the mood. <laughs> so these are stories, and actually, well, in any case, we can understand according to Bhagavad Gita, as Krishna says, in Sanskrit, we'll translate it. Deno svinata dehe komaram yovanam jara vita dahantara praptir dhiryas tatra namuyati. Krishna says in the beginning of the Bhagavad Gita, because Arjuna was worried, he was worried about dying. Anyone here ever worry about dying? Everyone's worrying about dying. If we didn't worry about dying, why do we look both ways before we cross the street? Why don't we just go, go for it? <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Hit me. <laughs> no, everyone's concerned about dying. But Arjuna was also concerned. But Krishna told him, don't be so worried, because you can't die because you're eternal. And he explains factually how we can understand that we're eternal, because we're in a body, and this body keeps on changing. We had a little baby body, and we have this body, and we'll get, while we're in this, as long as we're around here, we'll get so many different bodies. As a matter of fact, at every moment we're getting a different body. But we ourselves who are aware of these different bodies we're the same person. Otherwise, how could we be, how could we remember having a smaller body or a different body than we have now? If we were the body, when the body changed, we'd also change. 
you'd walk in here as Peter or Sally and you walk out as Jan John and, and Jane. And you keep on changing it as the body would change, your identity would change. And someone asks, who you are, who are you? And you say, well, it's hard to keep up. I'm going through so many changes. <laughs> Ask me next week when things settle down a little bit. No, we walk in here the same way as a person with a certain identity, a certain identification, and we'll walk out even if our body changes. Even if you cut off your arms and legs and you're able to survive, you still have the same identification. So we can't say that this body is ourselves because we've had so many bodies and they've disappeared, but we haven't disappeared. Now we, we, we may say we're our emotions, but that's similar. We may have so many emotions and they come and go. But we're the ones who are aware of it. We're the persons who are aware of these emotions. We're aware of our conceptions. Hopefully our conception is different now than it was when we were two years old. Otherwise we have a very steady conception. So our conceptions change, our feelings change, our bodies change, but the observer, the experiencer of these different things is not changing ourselves. So the conclusion is, if throughout all these changes we're not changing, so the final change called death, we don't change. Because we haven't changed so far, although everything we're experiencing is changing. So death means simply a different experience. Actually, the body doesn't even die. Because the body, something that's dead can't die. So the body is already dead. Just like if you cut off your finger, we may think the, the finger is alive, because it does so many nice things. It's, it's learned yoga, and twist, and turn. <laughs> but if you cut off the finger, then the finger is unconscious doesn't. But the finger is already unconscious. If I ask my finger any questions, it's going to say sorry. <laughs> it doesn't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> because the finger is not really alive. I'm, because I'm in the body, just like if you have a puppet. Now you, you move the puppet around and the puppet looks alive because you're moving it around. But if you take your hand out of the puppet, it falls down on the ground. But no one starts crying, oh, the puppet died, the puppet died, please bring it back to life. And everyone's giving artificial respiration to the puppet, please come back to life, we love you, puppet. No, the puppet can't come back to life because it was never alive in the first place. You can't bring something back to life that was never alive in the first place. Assuming the finger appears to be alive and it moves because I'm in the body. But if I leave the body, then the, then the finger won't move anymore. It'll be the same finger, just because I left the body, the, the finger doesn't go, oh. <laughs> no, it's the same finger, but because I'm, it won't move anymore. or not move very long, for very long. So the conclusion is, the body is already dead, but we're eternally alive. So therefore, we can't die, and the, and the body can't become alive. Is that understandable? 
So we're eternal. The question is where we want to spend the rest of our eternity. It's not going to be in this body, because the body is obviously not getting any younger. Is anyone's body here getting younger? And even if it was, there's a limit to how young it could get. And there's a limit to how old it will get also. So Arjuna was told that, this by Krishna, and Arjuna said, well, that's very good, so how do I realize? How do I actually experience my real identity, who I actually am? If I'm in the soul, a spiritual person, who am eternal, then how am I going to realize that? So that's the rest of the Bhagavad Gita. So Krishna explains that we're eternal, and then he says that actually we're not God. We're not the supreme controllers around here. That, but there is control. If we notice, the, the sun comes up at a certain time, and the sun goes down at a certain time. Now, we go down, but no one knows what time we're going to go down. <laughs> and no one even knows what time, we don't even know what time we're going to get up. But the sun is much more regulated than we are. The sun goes out at a certain time and gets up at a certain time. Now, we ourselves, we have some intelligence. Therefore, at a certain time, we decide with our intelligence that I can't maintain the body being awake anymore, so we decide to sleep. And then at a certain time, we wake up and we may decide to get up. But the sun is not like that. The sun is always going down at a certain time, getting up exactly at the right time. So who's more intelligent, the sun or ourselves? Or at least the movements of the sun are more regulated than we can regulate this body. Now the question is, what is actually regulating the sun? What is the sun is so big that, and it's so powerful that it's giving off more heat and light in one moment than all human beings have utilized throughout their whole history. So that's a lot of energy. And that's at every moment. And apparently the sun is not really diminishing its power and its energy. So something very powerful must be controlling the sun. If you have a watch, then the watch is simply moving, is measuring the power of the sun, the movements of the sun. And everyone knows it took an intelligent person or persons to manufacture a smartwatch. You can't imagine a dumb person manufacturing a smartwatch. <laughs> they must be at least as equally intelligent as the watches. So if there's a smart sun, because after all this, this watch, although it does many other things, doesn't cook my breakfast though, it does a few other things. Still, we have to imagine that an intelligent person made the, the, clock, the watch, and a more intelligent person must have made the sun. Otherwise, if we don't agree with that, we say, well, it just came about by accident. Can anyone here say the sun just came about by accident? Its orbit is just an accident. So if you say that, great. So if you figured out it was an accident, then you must, you must know how the accident came about because you figure it out. So why don't you, with all your intelligence, make a small sun? You can give it to us, put it in the Christmas sock, and on Christmas we can take it out of the sock, 
and it can just circulate here in the house. <laughs> during the day, during night, it, it, it comes up, or during the daytime, it comes up. And in winter, we can save so much money on the heating bill. <laughs> and the electricity, we wouldn't need all these lights. We just have our little sun, just keeps on circulating. Or maybe they give us a few, one for each sock. And we can have one for each room, heating and, and lighting up the room. And at night, it goes back into the sock. <laughs> so then we'd be very impressed by the, by the intelligence of the, the scientists who, who learned from, from an accident how to make a sun. But they can't even make a sun that would fit into our sock. All they can do is talk about an accident. Now if you're on the street and suddenly two cra cars crash into each other and the police come and they ask what happened, you say, don't worry about it, it was just an accident. <laughs> the police say, oh, it was an accident. Can you tell us how the accident happened? So the, the so-called scientists, they proclaim it's an accident, but they can't explain how it happened. So how do they know it was an accident? Maybe someone hit the other car because they wanted to collect insurance. That's not an accident. So in our very experience, we can see there's not very many accidents. There's no real accident. If you eat something, do you think by accident maybe it'll get digested, become digested, the food? Do you know how it gets digested? You, have the scientists worked it out? Did you rely on the scientists? You know, before the scientists came along, then they, you ate something and just dropped down, dropped into the mouth and immediately dropped down the other side, and the scientists had to figure out how to do something with it. So they created a digestive system, installed it in new people. As soon as you were born, <laughs> they installed the digestive system. Otherwise, nothing would hold. No, when we were born, no scientists created a digestive system by which you hopefully chew things. We'll see, we'll actually distribute some food. We'll see if you chew the food. <laughs> That's why, in order to chew the food, somehow or another we got these teeth. And then there was a tube that goes through all this complicated system where it's, things are added, all kinds of chemicals are added on the way down in order to, why? To, to uh, create a situation by which what we eat, say you ate an apple, and then it went down, it just doesn't kind of like drop down and at the end, you know, you get apple juice. <laughs> so you, you eat an apple, it goes down, and there's a whole chemical process, inconceivably complicated, by which that apple becomes your finger, or your nose, or maybe even your brain. Something. There's a whole transformation going on. Can any scientist even begin to understand how this, an apple becomes your brain? Unless the scientist has an apple brain. <laughs> no, it's inconceivable. Just like if you have a cow, well, let's see. Say, say you had a machine. You could we could mow the ground grass here, and we put it into the machine, 
and outside and from one end you put the grass in and the other end you get milk wouldn't that be a nice machine organic milk of course unpasteurized unhomogenized <coughs> then maybe even the vegans would eat the drink the milk you can't say well we don't, we're nonviolent we don't like the way you treat your grass <laughs> No, the, it would be a fantastic machine. As a matter of fact, whoever invented that machine probably would be worthy of getting a reward, a Nobel Prize or something. But who can invent such a machine? Well, Krishna invented such a machine. Do you know what it's called? It's called the cow. <laughs> you put one end, you put grass, and the other end you get milk. So that's quite a good machine. Unfortunately, they don't give the cow the Nobel Prize. They don't appreciate how wonderful the cow is activities. So in every aspect, we can see, for instance, if you had a male machine, if the scientists could make a male machine and a female machine, and when they got together they make little machines, wouldn't that be a nice machine? You could get a male Rolls Royce, and we have a female Rolls Royce. And when they get together, they make little Rolls Royces. And we add a little gasoline and a little oil to it, that grows up and becomes a big Rolls Royce. And everyone can get easily a Rolls Royce. Matter of fact, you can get a whole family of Rolls Royces. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know of any scientists making a machine, when they get together, they make little machines that grow up to become big machines. But Krishna has made such machines in many, many species of life. As a matter of fact, they say in the Vedas, in the books that we have, 8,400,000 species of life, Krishna has made these machines, they get together and make little machines, and they grow up. He's made male machines and female machines, and all these species of life, when they get together, they make little machines that grow up to become big machines and keep on making machines. That's how we got here. So who's the better scientist? Our present scientists trying to make machines? Or Krishna, who's made, already made all these machines? In other words, the idea that we're eternal, it should be obvious. And the idea that there is a Supreme Person who's governing everything here should also be obvious. So there must be some reason why we don't realize or experience things as they actually are. We're not talking about some mystical philosophy. We're not talking about some esoteric knowledge. We're talking about what we're experiencing at every moment, what we're seeing at every moment. The idea that the sun's rising at a certain time Setting is, is not some mystical knowledge that only people who are in the Himalayas meditating for 50,000 years can realize. <laughs> <laughs> no, if you get up early enough, you can realize it for yourself. And at night, which seems to come pretty quick, you can watch it happen. So there's not some mystic knowledge that only a few initiated people into this knowledge can understand. It should be obvious to everyone. Now the question is, why isn't it obvious to everyone? 
Why isn't it obvious to ourselves? Does anyone know the answer? Because we're an illusion. Anyone ever think they're an illusion? No, usually we don't think we're an illusion. We think everyone else is an illusion. (laughs) (laughs) We think we actually know what's going on, although we don't even know who we are. Now, why are we an illusion? That's the question. So, we say that God has an energy, or Krishna has an energy, it's called maya. Maya means that which is not. So, we've been placed into maya, into illusion. Now, why would God place us into illusion? Because he doesn't like our face. No. (laughs) No, because actually we've been placed into a prison called the material body because we're trying to steal from God. Just like if you go to some store and you, with your bag, and you feel just like it's Christmas coming, and you decide you're going to get some Christmas presents, but you don't have any money, so you go to the nearest Sears, if it's still open, I don't know. They've gone bankrupt yet. Do they still have Sears? They to get there quick. Before they... <laughs> Not for much longer. Amazon will take them over. But, say you go there and you decide, well, you walk into the store, it's early, no one's there, so you decide, well, no one's there, so I could just take whatever I want. No one's here to claim it's theirs. You fill up your shopping bag, and you walk out, and lo and behold, there's policemen who stop you, and they say, you're shoplifting. And you say, no, I'm not. There's no one there. You know, too. There's no proprietor. I didn't see anyone. So I just assumed that everything was up for grabs. But they still arrest you. So similarly, we've come to the material world, and we're shopping around to see something we like, and we're taking it and trying to enjoy it, be happy with it. But we're saying that there's actually a God who's created the world, who's controlling the world, and since we're taking everything in the, and assuming there's no one here who's actually belongs to, therefore we're getting into trouble. And what's that trouble? The, the trouble is that we're put into this identification with this gross and subtle body. And what's the problem with that? As I said before, many times, we look into the mirror in the morning and we ask the mirror, mirror, mirror on the wall, Who's the greatest of them all? And what does the mirror answer? Well, you're looking at the greatest of them all. (laughs) You're actually seeing the supreme within the mirror. So now you should render unalloyed, uninterrupted service. You should serve the deity. So we have a deity, and it's this material body that we're in. And we're very busily serving it thinking that it's ourselves. Unfortunately, the problem with having a material body is that it's only temporary, and we're always worried about it. We're worried about what it looks like, how it feels, what's going to happen to it. We're constantly in anxiety. What's happening to my body? But do you know what happens to the body? Does anyone know what happens to the body? Well, I, I can tell you what's going to happen to the body. 
a matter of fact, it's guaranteed. You have a, everyone has a palm. You know palmistry? Have you ever studied palmistry? We can teach you palmistry in one second. So look at your palm. You see this line between the index finger and the thumb? There's, everyone has a line there. Yes? Goes down the, the, the palm there. So look at it. It starts here, and then it goes down. This is called your lifeline. And what do you find out near the wrists? What happens? What happens to the line? Can you tell me what happens to your line? It stops. It stops. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what that means? <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> so that's what happens when you get a material body. You get it, it's alive for some time. Well, it appears to be alive. And then it disappears. And we're struggling hard to make sure it doesn't that it does, doesn't disappear. Why do people take vitamins every day? Why do they look both ways when they cross the street? Why do you bother doing anything? It's to make sure, to try to make sure this body doesn't disappear. But what happens at the end? It's already on your palm. What happens at the end? In spite of all this endeavor to make sure the body doesn't disappear, what happens? Even if you cross this off. <laughs> it doesn't help very much. So, having a material body has certain problems, like death, having to die. No one really wants to die because we're eternal, and it's very inconvenient. Because right now you're going to school, and you've gone through the first grade, and you had to learn that one plus one is equal to two. Now imagine, if you were fortunate enough to get a human form of life in the next lifetime, and you have to go through the whole thing again. You wound up, up after 20 years of going to college and university and postgraduate school. You get your PhD and become a professor at the university, teaching advanced quantum physics. And then you have a heart attack as you're trying to pay off your tuition. Or well, <laughs> <laughs> your college loans. Finally, you can't take it anymore. You have a heart attack. And you come back and you're in a baby again. And five years later, you've got to want, learn one plus one is equal to two, all over again. And you have to keep on doing that, life after life, if you have a human form of life. How embarrassing. You can't claim you're five years old, you can't say, wait a second, I was a professor at the university. <laughs> I'm not going through this again. <laughs> Just, you know look up my previous life. <laughs> so it's inconvenient having a material body. We have to spend so much time, you know, trying to help it and make it look nice and help it survive. And it, all these things don't work. We're always, it's always a failure. Besides that, there's other things as far as death, like old age. No one is looking forward to old age. I can't wait till I can't, you know, walk and see. <laughs> and who can avoid it? And then, of course, there's disease. Oh, I'm too healthy today. Maybe I can take something and get sick. 
So, and then if actually what we're talking about is true, we have to take birth again. Who's looking to take birth again? <coughs> they always tell us in the beginning that the stalk brought us this nice cozy stalk when we came through the chimney. <laughs> but there's a different story. That birth is not a very pleasant experience. You have your imagine being packed up for what, nine months in one little space and you couldn't move. And then suddenly you're thrown, you're squeezed like toothpaste out of a tube. It would be very disturbing. And as soon as you come, they say hello and they immediately they slap you. Ah! And you start screaming, <laughs> success. Welcome. Don't worry, you're gonna, there'll be a few more screams coming. <laughs> this is your introduction. So birth, death, old age, and disease, these are not very pleasant. But we tolerate it because we hope to get a little happiness in between. But actually what we're looking for is a lot of happiness, not just a little happiness. We're looking for unlimited happiness. And we're looking for unlimited for knowledge of how to get that unlimited happiness, which goes beyond all the anxiety of worrying about what happens to this body, because there's not much we can do about it. Our worrying doesn't make the body grow younger. Oh, he worried all night about what's going to happen, and when he came out the next day, he was ten years younger, <laughs> due to all the worrying. No, worrying about it, being concerned about it, even working for it, doesn't make any difference. So, what can we do? Well, our philosophy is that if we recognize the Supreme Person, who we say is the source of everything, He's also the source of all love and bliss and awareness and knowledge. If we cooperate with Him, we learn how to cooperate, then He may, He'll reciprocate. If we're not trying to steal from Him, we become honest citizens, we don't try to imitate him and, t and assume that we're going to become one, the same as him, that we're going to become laws of this material energy, then Krishna will not have to put us into illusion anymore. And we can, he can reveal himself, and when he reveals himself, we'll become aware of our real selves. And when we become aware of our real selves and him, we'll find out our nature is to be happy all the time. That's why every living entity is looking for happiness. Our nature is to be aware of things as they really are. Because even with a little hearing, a little knowledge, we become somewhat aware. So if we're in our original position, we're completely aware, not of everything, but we're at least aware of what's going on within our realm of perception. So that's called Krishna consciousness. That the idea is how to act in this material world in such a way is that Krishna becomes pleased with us and he doesn't have to put us in illusion anymore. Or at least gradually our illusions go away and we can actually see things as they really are. Not some strange mystical thing that when I become self-realized I'll see everyone has three heads instead of one. No, to actually just see what's actually going on here as it really is and who we really are and who the Supreme Person is. Then that's called Krishna Consciousness. And in this age, of course, that's what's what Bhagavad Gita dealt with. 
Of course, we have no time to read Bhagavad Gita. But we gave a little summary. So, any questions? Comments? Does it make sense? Good. We're trying to. It takes a little while to actually realize it. Usually, theoretically, it makes a lot of sense. To apply it is a little bit more difficult. Yes? Sometimes people say you can become happy just by putting happy things together, you know, that, that you like to do. Like, let's say on Monday night you go to the football game, and then on Tuesday you, you go to your favorite restaurant, like that. You just pick out things you like. Oh, that's good. Then, that is a kind of happiness. Unless your football team loses. <laughs> 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 then, you, then you become even more unhappy than you were before you went to the game. Yeah, but there is a kind of happiness in the material world, because that's our nature. That's why we exist, to become happy. The only problem is that the happiness in the material world is not static, and it's not always reliable. There's also, as soon as we accept happiness, then we also have to accept unhappiness. But we don't really want to accept unhappiness. Just like we'll have, I guess we have pizza. Is that right? Everyone likes pizza. You have even one drop of Italian blood, you'll like pizza. But how much pizza can you eat? If you eat as much pizza as you want, then shortly afterwards, you may not feel so well. <laughs> so there's happiness eating the pizza. There wasn't happiness in trying to digest it. Especially when one piece comes out of your ear. <laughs> it's very difficult to pull it out sometimes. <laughs> so there's happiness in the material world, but we, if we accept material happiness, we also have to accept all the miseries that come along with material existence too. So that we can't avoid. Not that we should stop, not, not that we can walk out of material existence. But, at the same time, we should try to get another standard of happiness which is not temporary and which doesn't decrease, or go, which always increases. But that's rather theoretical. But at least it's possible to understand because we're eternal, we want eternal happiness. We don't just want temporary happiness. We like a happiness which is always increasing. And a happiness which is not just based upon going to a football game where one team wins and the other team loses. Half the people are happy and half of them are miserable. And we want a happiness that makes everyone happy. That we, real happiness is really be able to work in such ways to not only make ourselves happy, but we become even happier when we make others happy. When we experience others' happiness, then we become happier. So it should be a happiness that makes everyone happy. Not just half the people. And if you go to a restaurant, you may become happy. But that, that turkey that you're eating probably didn't feel bliss when they stuck the knife in its back. So, you may be happy, but at the expense of some other living entity, which was made very unhappy. And, according to the law of karma, then 
eventually you might become a turkey and the result of going to the restaurant will eventually make you unhappy too. <coughs> Anything else? Okay. Thank you very much. Grandrive something. Philip <laughs> Ropa Kijai. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you.